our go-to for talking about climate change is um, a lot of data and scientific reason, which is obviously so important. But the thing that I kept noticing is that science, even though it was extremely valuable in educating about the existence of climate change, it seemed like it was insufficient at convincing people that climate change existed. Welcome to Ununinformed. I'm Sean Seavey. Each week, Ununinformed helps you in being connected to the world around you so you don't feel dumb around your smart friends. This week, we're talking about climate change in the environment with Piper Christian, who helped pass a clean air and sustainability resolution in her local town of Logan, Utah. Oh, by the way, that was a year ago when she was 16 years old. Yeah, 16 years old. At that time, she was the president of the Logan Environmental Action Force. She also co-founded the Student Coalition for Institutional and Environmental Integrity, which is all about getting Utah youth, like her, involved in environmental awareness throughout the state. We'll be talking about how she has had so much success in implementing change in the environment. Here's a little hint. It wasn't necessarily all about scientific graphs. So Piper Christian, welcome to Ununinformed. Thank you. So what made you so concerned about the environment as, as a high schooler? I mean, uh, I know you gave a TED Talk uh, when you were 16. And so how did you go from being, you know, normal high schooler to a climate enthusiast? <laughs> well, um, I think just growing up in Logan um, and being exposed to the outdoors a lot as a kid really made me passionate about environmental protection because um, my whole childhood was spent, you know, in a canoe or on skis or in a tent. Um, so I think I just realized that the environment is something that was so important to my life and was something I wanted to protect. And then in high school, as a sophomore, um, I got the opportunity to attend the Paris Accords, um, the main diplomatic climate talks. Oh, wow. Uh, and we're talking about like the climate talks that like Donald Trump pulled out of those ones. Exactly those ones. So wow. being in the city and, and, and kind of being in Paris at that time really uh, woke me up to the importance of taking action on climate change. Wow. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the whole Paris experience. Yeah. So I had a really unique experience because um, given that the um, the really tragic terrorist attacks happened right. um, shortly before the climate summit, um, I didn't have that they heightened security. And so I didn't have access to any of the diplomatic meetings. Um, but it created this unique opportunity where I actually kind of just interviewed anyone I met from all over the world just with my cheap camera and asked people how climate change affects their communities. And it turned into this amazing project that totally opened my eyes to the um, kind of ingenuity and creativity that people around the world have in addressing climate change. Hey, how about you share uh, some of the stories that you gathered there in Paris? Absolutely, yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite stories was one from a 15-year-old girl from Bali named Malati. And um, when she was only 12 years old, she was heartbroken to see that the beaches in Bali were covered with plastic bags. Um, you know, 
Isabel and I were only 10 and 12 years old when we started this. We never had a business plan, we never had a strategy, nor any hidden agendas. We just had the idea in front of us and a group of friends working with us. And all we wanted to do was stop those plastic bags from wrapping and suffocating our beautiful home. We really believe that we have a boundless energy. This youth has a boundless energy and a motivation to be the change the world needs. So huge campaign, got all of her friends together um, and got national attention. And when um, and she wanted to ban plastic bags in Bali. And when she didn't get the attention of the um, governor of Bali, um, she and her um, 10 year old sister went on a food strike to get his attention. Um, And sure enough, she was able to get finally get um, a meeting with the governor of Bali and was able to ban plastic bags um, where she lived. Wow. I mean, food fast, <laughs> I mean, that, uh, a food strike, that's like, I think Mahatma Gandhi is the one that made that cool. <laughs> and exactly. uh, here, and she was 12 when she did this. Right. And she was inspired by Gandhi. That was the amazing thing. Really? Um, just to see the way, you know, in many ways, I felt powerless as a young person to really do much to protect the environment. And meeting Malati completely changed my perspective. Wow. Um, so you're uh, a believer in climate change, right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and so what happens when you do you deal with a lot of do you have a lot of friends that are like, well, I don't really believe in climate change. What it, do you do you have a lot of friends like that? Because I do. Um, <laughs> yeah, certainly. Um, I see that a lot in, in school. And obviously, yeah, it's it's you know, there's still a large amount of people in the US and elsewhere that um, just don't believe there's sufficient evidence to support that climate change exists. So what do you do about it? I mean, I'm wondering how to talk about climate and environmental issues with people that have decided that there really isn't an issue and we're really not contributing to it. So what are some of the solutions? What do we do about, you know, climate deniers? <laughs> um, well, what I noticed an interesting trend with the way we talk about climate change, um, that when we discuss climate change and try to convince, quote unquote, climate deniers that climate change exists, we mostly try to appeal to reason. You know, so we say, well, 97% of climate scientists say that climate change exists. And yeah, look at that. these graphs of like the atmospheric carbon and how it's increasing. And and we kind of um, are, are, you know, our go to for talking about climate change is um, a lot of data and scientific reason, which is obviously so important. But the thing that I kept noticing is that science, even though it was extremely valuable in educating about the existence of climate change, it seemed like it was insufficient at convincing people that climate change existed. Insufficient, really? Uh, I'm intrigued. Tell me more. So I started kind of thinking, what what are ways that we can really um, connect to people and convince them that climate change is something that A, exists, and B, is caused by humans, and C, is something that we should all take action on? And um, and I realized after going to the Paris Accords and, um, and gathering all of these stories that um, not only do we need to appeal to reason in order to convince people about climate change, but we also have to appeal to emotion. And that's where stories come in. Okay. So what I, what I noticed was that when I returned to Utah after coming back from the, um, you know, the climate summit, um, I started going to like, you know, local news stations or community events or schools. And 
I and I would share about the science and how important it is that um, that you know climate change is supported by scientific reason. But then I would go on to share stories of you know um, you know stories of a Sudanese student who who talked about how in Sudan um, the rising temperatures are causing dr um, droughts um, an unprecedented um, problem and how, you know, in different regions in, in Indonesia, that there are greater chances of forest fires and, you know, people from all over the world, um, Peru, how, um, like, how there's less snowpack in the mountains, which impacts the water. Mm. Um, and um, it was amazing that once I had both scientific data and then stories from around the world, suddenly people not only connected with their head, but also with their heart. And that made people suddenly more passionate about addressing climate change. Wow. And you, you actually have seen success with this. So tell, yeah. let's hear some success, success stories. Sure. Um, one that was particularly significant and exciting to me was actually in my own community, Logan City. Um, so my environmental club, we, one problem that we noticed in our community is that we have terrible inversions, horrible air pollution, especially in the winter. In fact, we have the, um, we've been, Logan city has been ranked among the top 10 worst cities in the country for short-term air pollution. And that's where I went to so college. So I know what that's like. <laughs> for sure. It's, it's really not a pretty thing in the winter. So we wanted to talk to our city council and our goal was to pass a resolution through the city council to make them basically say, yes, the air pollution is a problem and outline, outline short-term and long-term goals for the city to address air pollution. Yeah. And we thought, okay, how can we go about this in a way that will really convince them to pass this resolution that we've created? And um, shortly before the city council meetings, that we should mostly just share stories. So it was kind of a, um, maybe an unorthodox approach to trying to pass po policy. Um, so basically, each of the members of our environmental club, these are 15 and 16-year-olds, really? um, <laughs> just a bunch of students, yeah. wrote short stories about how the air pollution affects their lives as teenagers. Um, so when we went to the city council meeting, um, each of us, for instance, um, one student said, I, I'm a run cross country and I can't train in the winter because the air pollution hurts my lungs too badly. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and another student said, I, I babysit and I'm really fearful for the future of the children that I'm looking after because children are especially vulnerable to bad air pollution. Um, wow. And so, you know, and it would have been very, and, and so we coupled that with data saying, look, you know, showing them the statistics of how bad our air pollution is. And so with a combination of both science and storytelling, our, we convinced our city council to pass our resolution unanimously. Wow. And we were really skeptical that we could even get it passed because it, in this, in the, our resolution, it said, not only do we need to, um, you know, improve our air, or address our air pollution, but also we need to be taking action to address climate change. And we thought, man, climate change, that's still a really touchy subject. Um, so we were really skeptical. And so we were just like dumbfounded. <laughs> and wow. when just with by sharing simple stories and connecting to them, um, we really convinced them that this was something that was important. Wow. And because I kind of wonder, um, 
I I might have been in the same situation where I might have just settled for air pollution, but climate change is a you know a, a harder uh, a tougher sell. Um, right. Do Do you feel like sometimes uh, you just it's better to settle for uh, talking about air pollution? Do you have to sometimes compromise? Uh, how do you deal with that? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the way that we've approached um, talking about climate change and promoting environmental protection has kind of varied depending on the city. So okay. we've passed similar climate change resolutions um, around the state of Utah. Um, and and one of the cities we collaborated with was the um, Moab City Council. Okay. And they it was a very progressive city council and they right when they went in we went in there they're like okay climate change is real we know we're contributing to it the whole city council like unanimously believed that and so we kind of went straight to talking about okay how are we going to address climate change and you know in a more conservative city like logan we kind of approached it as kind of an air pollution issue and then also discuss climate change in tandem with that so sometimes, you know, sometimes the best way to go about it is saying, well, they're going to probably be doing similar things, whether they're trying to address um, air pollution or climate change. Okay, so Piper, I'm going to give you, I'm going to put you on the spot. Um, I'm giving you the opportunity to uh, stand on your soapbox, and we have a captive audience of people listening to this podcast. Give us your spiel. What do what do the listeners uh, listening right now need to know about the environment, climate, and things like that? I, I came I came into this passion for environmental protection from a really young age, and I think when I talk to people about climate change, I usually approach it from a perspective of you know a seventeen year old and and kind of being frank with people and saying you know, this, this is my future and, and this is the future of, of my generation and generations to come. And, um, and, and so while it may be convenient to do things that are extremely, um, you know, that, that require a lot of carbon and are really detrimental to the environment, maybe it's convenient right now and maybe it seems like something that is the easiest option, but what we're only doing is sabotaging um, the future of, of my generation and generations to come. And, and, and what I've seen through, through my experience working, through, um, working in Utah with both like political action and grassroots organizing is that there is so much momentum and enthusiasm that's growing about taking action on climate change. Um, I worked with young people at the state capitol this year and we introduced a climate change resolution um, through the state capitol. And we were able to gather over 100 students from around the state of Utah to come to the capitol. And kids from the ages of you know, elementary school to graduate school gave testimonies on the fact that climate change is something that is so important to us. And, wow. is some, and, and so seeing that, I could see that that what was at stake when I heard the voices of young people from around the state of Utah, it was clear that this is an issue that can no longer be ignored. And, and, and so I think that is what I, I usually try to leave people with is if, if, if nothing else, think about the planet that you're leaving for both, not only the animals and the creatures, but also the people. Um, and, and that is where we need to take action. And 
and, and, and also I think what I stress to people is that this can be a really frightening time, especially for those who care a lot about protecting the environment. There's, you know, a lot of political action that's being taken right now that is extremely discouraging in terms of environmental protection with, you know, the United States pulling out of the Paris Accords and, yeah. you know, attacks on the EPA. And, and, and so, you know, oftentimes it feels like, what can I as this average citizen or normal, you know, kid do to take on these issues and, and, and what does it matter? And I think, you know, after talking to young people and to, you know, multiple and people of all generations from around the world, what I noticed is that when each of us find ways to take action in our own capacity, in our own communities, those actions combined together can have an enormous impact. So I would say, whether it be even a small group of friends, your own family, anything you can do to inspire change or kind of educate your peers about the importance of protecting the environment, your actions do matter and they do make a difference. And certainly you as a 17-year-old are a living example of that. That's fantastic. Well, Piper Christian, um, thanks for joining us on Ununinformed. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. It's been great chatting. That was Piper Christian, a 17-year-old climate enthusiast. Join us next week as we talk about what technology will look like in 30 years and how that might affect your future job. We'll be talking to Kevin Kelly, who is a founder of Wired Magazine, and he just published a New York Times bestseller book, and we'll be doing a little book review on that. So stay tuned next week. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. Our theme music is provided by DD Dumbo. I'm Sean Seavey, and you're listening to Un Uninformed. Thanks, everybody.